0: Most of us at some point in our lives will consider a total career shift. Maybe you already have. Apparently, about 30% of us are kind of thinking about it already, even if we aren't talking about it. Based on current trends, most Canadians will have about 15 distinct jobs in their lifetimes. For career switchers or people who are trying to move up the ladder, it used to be that the only choice was to go back to school, full-time or part-time, But things are changing. As we'll hear later, educational institutions and even private industries are offering more flexibility and customized options for people who want to retrain. Sometimes a career change can come from boredom or from finally paying attention to that inner voice that has been asking for something different. In other cases, career changes happen to us through downsizing or industry changes. We're laid off and we have to adapt. In Brett Balla's case, it was a bit of both. He recently made the leap from being a mid-career journalist to becoming a student of airport operations.
1: So I was in journalism and um, I progressed through various jobs over the years. And I would change jobs every, it wasn't necessarily like a strategy, but I would change jobs every three or four years. And that included, in some cases, promotions like going from a reporter to a producer job, or uh, changing cities, uh, moving from Quebec City to Vancouver, and each time looking for you know the the space where I really fit, and marrying my passion with my abilities, and 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 really trying to find that space where 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 it all came together. And so uh, it, it was it was constant progress and. At the same time, getting further and further away from what I really loved, which is telling stories and and connecting with people. So I rose up the ranks to a point where I thought I was able to make a contribution, but I was very detached from what my passion was. And I really wasn't happy. I wasn't happy doing the work. And that affected my relationships with people. That affected who I was at home. And so there was a lot of, you know, what do I care about? What What do I really want to be? Who do I want to be?
0: Welcome to Fireweed, the podcast from BCIT. I'm Maria Vinca. The pink and purple fireweed is the first plant to return to the land after a forest fire. It's resilient and incredibly adaptive to its new surroundings. And on this podcast, we're featuring people, businesses, and institutions that are adapting to their changing surroundings. If that sounds like someone or something familiar to you, send us an email at fireweed at bcit.ca. We're always looking for stories of resilience. Now, let's return to Brett. He doesn't know it yet, but in our timeline, he's about to experience a massive change.
1: I lost my job. Well, down to that, I, I lost my job. And so when that happened, It kind of forced an issue that was bubbling in the back of my mind anyway. Um, And that is to say, I've always loved aviation. And though I loved journalism, I wasn't loving what I was doing. And so, you know, it came to a point where I lost my job and that forced the issue, forced me to make a choice, forced me to really think hard about what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go and who I wanted
0: to be. There's nothing like losing your job to throw you back on yourself and give you plenty of time to think. After such a sudden exit from his busy journalism career, Brett found himself reflecting on his childhood.
1: I would often think back to when I was a kid, four or five years old, growing up in Edmonton. And uh, I grew up under the flight path of the old municipal airport in Edmonton. I can still remember, the first flight would take off at 7 a.m. And I knew that, even as a kid, I knew when the first flight was. and. I would get out of bed and run to the window to see that first flight take off. I wanted to know what runway they were using. I wanted to know what the aircraft was. It was always the same aircraft. Um, I wanted to know uh, everything about it. Like, oh, they're going to Calgary. Okay. And there's the plane. There it is. I see they're running that. They're using that runway. So the wind's coming from this direction. Like I, I, I'd I, figure all these things out in my own little mind as a kid. And, and so when it got to the point of me considering, well, what do I really want to do? I remembered back to that. And that feeling of awe and wonderment, and just amazement that I as a kid, and that helped guide me into the aviation program into the airport operations program at BCIT.
0: Brett had thought about going back to school before, but it was always those practical life things that stopped him. How I ended up at BCIT
1: actually was uh, was partly my wife's doing. In that one night, she um, had taken some course at the aviation program at BCIT, and I sat in on the information night, and I could still remember the feeling of being there. There were about 20 of us in the room, give or take, and we got to ask some questions. And I came out of that thought, yep, that's it. Like, I I don't know how I knew. I just knew that at that moment, that was it. That's what I wanted to do. So all of a sudden, I went from a bit of a pie-in-the-sky idea of I'm going to go back to school to change my career to, oh my God, I'm going back to school and I'm going to change my career. How did this happen?
0: More and more people like Brett are returning to schooling of some sort and are reinventing themselves in midlife. That isn't easy. Brett was a respected professional with over 20 years of experience. And now he was starting again. He had to adapt his mindset and adjust his sense of identity as much as anything. So Brett, talk to me about the challenges of going back to school full-time.
1: There is a um, a real sense of, uh, i trying to think of the right word, but there's a real sense of mourning that you have to go through for who you were and the relationships you'd formed and for the routine that you lived. Suddenly it's not there anymore. And so you have to give yourself permission to live that. You know, adapting from professional life to student life, you had to think of finances. You had to think of time management, um, uh, technology, you know, even the, the personal relationships, like, uh, you know, how am I going to fit into a new group of essentially kids? Like I'm going back to school with 18, 19, 20 year olds. I'm 48. I'm middle age. How am I going to fit into a group of a bunch of kids? Um, But once I made that leap, then it got easier to go to decide, okay, I'm a student now. This is actually really exciting. And I'm going back to school. How many people have that chance?
0: The experience of being at a crossroads in a career is pretty universal. So are layoffs for that matter. Many people do choose to go back to school full time, but it isn't the only option. More than ever, employees are looking to upgrade their skills while working, whether it's for their current job or in preparation to make a career switch. Maybe you like your industry, but need more skills to advance. Or maybe you like your role, but you want to shift industries, you probably need to upgrade your skills and knowledge in very specific areas. Enter micro-credentials, bite-sized certifications in very focused areas. They show up as badges on your LinkedIn account, signaling to employers that you're upgrading. Microcredentials are offered by educational institutions, but also through private companies. I talked to Ryan Chinsis, the Senior Manager of Online Learning at Hootsuite Media. Hootsuite develops these intentionally short, specific courses open to anyone. Some can be completed in a few hours, where others take a few weeks. If someone was feeling stuck in their career, how would these types of courses help them?
2: Our courses aren't theoretical. We're not going to teach you you know, the philosophy of social media. And so by watching our courseware, learning those tips and tricks, having better results with your social media marketing efforts or your social selling efforts, that is going to help you do better in your job and it's going to help advance your career. So by credentialing people and giving people that badge, it it sort of consolidates their knowledge into a credential that they can then use to show off to, say, an existing employer to show that they're taking steps to improve their career, or I think, and I think potentially more importantly, to prospective employers. So if you get a registered credential that you can put on your LinkedIn page as a registered official qualification, and HR teams are then looking at you as a potential candidate and they see, oh, wow, this person is certified in social media marketing. That's really impressive. That kind of sets you ahead of the other people, the other hundreds of people who might be applying for that job.
0: So, do you notice micro credentials when you're hiring?
2: So, as a hiring manager, when I'm trying to sift through the hundreds of applicants that I'm getting for, say, an entry level or even a specialist job, one of the things, one of the research techniques that I do is first I Google their name and see what comes up. Generally, it will be LinkedIn that comes up in one of the top three. I go to LinkedIn and I see the personal brand, the professional brand that they're conveying. And then the next thing I do is I scroll down to their qualifications. I want to see what additional training that they've taken the initiative to do in addition to their university degree. And micro-credentials are a big part of those official qualifications that show up on LinkedIn. That demonstrates a lot about not only that person's initiative to do those credentials, but also the knowledge that they're gonna bring to the table when they start the job, and it's gonna have a bearing on whether they're gonna be able to hit the ground running when they start. And I can definitely, definitely, definitely tell you that if someone has taken the time to pursue relevant industry-relevant qualifications, that's, that's, that's a game changer for that person. And it's, and it's going to be a minority of people that have taken the time to get relevant micro credentials, for example, on software tools that they would need to do those jobs. And it's going to be, you know, under 10% are, are, are doing those sorts of things.
0: So what are some important factors that you think of when designing a course?
2: What we settled on was course certification courses that take really no, honestly no more than a day to finish. Even our even our longest course, the social marketing course, if you sat down, you could finish that in five hours, take the certification exam in one hour. So in a day, our shortest course is that social selling course that I mentioned. And that's for sales professionals who have very, very little appetite for sitting in extended trainings. These are people who want the tips and tricks that are going to get them results fast. And Hootsuite's research has shown that our audience, the audience that we court, Wants, tips, and tricks that are going to get them results fast. And so that's really how we've tailored um, our, our, all of our certification courses. Conversely, you can purchase one of our certification courses and you can challenge the certification exam and you don't have to take the education. That was a, a conscious design decision that we made because we knew that there's going to be people out there who are, say, social media managers who have maybe three years experience managing social media. They do know their stuff well. What they're looking for is a way to consolidate their knowledge and their experience into a credential that they can show to their boss, or they can show to another prospective employer to take that next step in their career, whether that be a promotion, or whether that be a job change.
0: You're listening to Fireweed, brought to you by BCIT. Do you know of someone innovating in their field or taking an adaptive approach to problem solving? Email us at fireweed at or send us an Instagram message at life at BCIT. Now, private companies aren't the only game in town when it comes to this new, flexible way of learning. Institutions are also recognizing the evolving needs of lifelong learners. While BCIT offers a wide variety of full-time programs like BRETT's, it's also now offering micro-credentials, It's part of what BCIT academic VP Tom Romer calls agile learning, which has the principles of flexibility and responsiveness at its core.
3: So BCIT coined the term agile learning. It's actually, quite frankly, a a BCIT invention. And uh, it came from the recognition that agility happens on both sides, on the employer side And on the student side, the employers need quick solutions to current problems. There's a new technology coming up. I need to quickly enhance my workforce skills so that they they can tackle this. On the student side, it's the agility about the flexibility about how to acquire that knowledge i want flexibility in what courses i choose i want flexibility in when i uh, study i want flexibility in how i study i want flexibility of mixing and matching different sources of learning a very good example in that respect would be indigenous learning nobody really infuses indigenous learning in uh, in a curriculum just yet in a proper way um, Uh, So here's the opportunity to provide a credit for that. So that's a little bit the difference uh, of the agile learning model uh, compared to the traditional learning model, which other than maybe certain electives is rather prescriptive and it is rather predefined of what the student uh, can take. And that comes out of our uh, part-time studies program. Uh, Agile learning means you are not looking for that uh, two, three, four, five-year commitment, but you're looking at quick solutions for a competency, for a skill that you need to pick up to continue either in your employment or to successfully transition to a different form of employment.
0: All of BCIT's programs are geared to applicability in the workforce, but it's really those part-time classes that are evolving to meet the needs of different job seekers. More and more part-time classes now have a competency-based certification associated with them, rather than just having a statement of completion. I asked Tom to talk about the advantages of micro-credentials.
3: So we get a lot of practitioners who come to us and says, I'm not interested in a a paper. I just need that knowledge. I need to carry on with that knowledge. And micro-credentials marry the two by saying, okay, we offer that course to you in a short cycle format, but at the end, there will be a bit of an assessment, and then we can give you a certificate for that. We can give you uh, what we call sometimes a parchment, um, in layman's terms, a piece of paper saying, yes, you have taken that course and you have demonstrated that you understand the knowledge. Um, Statement of completions are often more, you have attended the course, but there's no assessment of your skills after that.
0: Microcredentials don't develop in a vacuum. BCAT and similar institutions up and down the Cascadia corridor are closely tied to industry and responding to the needs of the workforce. And in most cases, students who have real-world experience are able to challenge the microcredentials exams without even taking the course, making microcredentials the ultimate in flexible learning. This kind of flexibility appeals to different students at different points in their lives.
3: Micro-credentials have pretty much two distinct clientels. One is the practitioner that requires an upgrade to their skill set. So the micro-credential that BCIT ran recently most successfully in uh, mass timber construction is a very good example. Here you have the construction industry that has worked with uh, lumber for centuries but now there's a new technology out there how can i quickly gain that knowledge i don't want to go through a four-year program again um, i'm a practitioner in the field so give me that additional competency so that's one it's uh, the upskiller as they often called The other one is um, what I call sometimes the career explorer. And those are often high school graduates that say, I'm not really sure yet what I want to take. I do not want to enroll in a uh, university program that I'm actually not really enthusiastic about, uh, because at some point, I might feel that I'm stuck in there. And if I leave that program, then I have nothing. Well, then I have maybe even less than nothing, because on my transcript, it looks like a failure, like I dropped out because I couldn't handle it when I actually just realized it wasn't for me. So the micro, for the, uh, that clientele, the micro-credential allows to dip in various fields and say, um, I don't know, I might want to give it a, um, a shot at a trades career. So I'm interested in being a machinist. At the same time, I maybe take a course in mechanical engineering and see if engineering is for me.
0: There are also some really interesting generational differences in what people expect from their post-secondary education.
3: One other distinction is that um, baby boomers and Gen Xers, especially Gen Xers, uh, pursued what we call uh, career readiness. So they took a long program out of which they would apply in their first job, maybe 30% of the knowledge. But they knew that down the road, the remaining topics that they learned would apply at some point. The millennials and especially Gen Zers are turning this around a little bit. They say, what I want is in time, just in time education. And I want to have that so that I get exactly the skills that I need for this job. And if I continue in my career, then I will come back and take the next competencies that help me for for the next step. But I'm not willing to now, uh, quote unquote, sell my soul for four years to take a program uh, during which I can't work, during which I uh, might not have much of a social life. Um, I'm not willing to do that. Tell me what I need to get this entry-level job or that next career step, and I will take that. And they also demand uh, more often that they can choose their subjects more freely. So the idea of a a canned program, of a prescriptive program, is going slowly but surely out the window. They exhibit what we call uh, a la carte behavior. They want to pick and choose individual courses from a menu and say, I would like to combine these. to build my own personal set of skills.
0: So whether you're making a full career switch like Brett or you need the certification to move up in your current career, the educational model is evolving to meet your needs and the needs of industry. And Brett, he continues to adapt. How are you feeling now? Excited? Or nervous or?
1: Um, nervous excited actually does sum it up quite well. Um, <laughs> once we get going again, which is starting in aviation now, it's starting. Once we get going again, there will be a need to have people who know what they're doing, uh, who've lived horrible, rocky circumstances, and who can come through the other side. So there's opportunity on the other side. It, it will just take some time. Talking to my, my, my class colleagues, we're, we're all just doing what we can to make ends meet while we're waiting for the opportunities to open up on the other side. It'll come. You have to have patience and you have to have confidence that it'll happen. And there are days when both are in short supply, but it will happen. I have confidence in that.
0: You've been listening to Fireweed, a podcast from BCIT. Thanks to my guests today, including Ryan Chintz's Tom Romer, and a very special shout out to Brett Bala, who continues to adapt to whatever comes his way. Do you have a story of adaptation and evolution to share with us? Email us at fireweed at or send us a message on Instagram at life at bcit. I'm Maria Vinka, and thanks to you for listening. Make sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts. See you on the next episode of Fireweed.